Welcome back to another edition of Disney Dish with Lentesta. I'm Jim Hill, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, October 11, 2021. On the show today, news, plus Christina Harrison shares her thoughts on how much edible glitter a human being can consume before they get really pretty kidney stones. And in our main segment, I talk about how when it comes to Walt Disney World history, sometimes it's really hard to separate fact from fiction. At this point in the show, we normally would bring in Mr. Tessa, but he's on a boat. The Scarlet Lady, the newest ship of the line of from Virgin Voyages. And the Scarlet Lady made its maiden voyage out of the Port of Miami this past Wednesday and provided the captain of this 990-foot-long vessel hasn't already keel-hauled, Lynn, which, by the way, very strong possibility. Have you seen Tessa's hair lately? That curly mop could definitely keep the keel of this brand spanning new cruise ship barnacle-free. So if I were Len, I would definitely keep myself out of the, the captain's line of sight. Anyway, Mr. Tessa... Barring any unfortunate incidents out on international waters, we'll return for next week's show. But in the meantime, I am thrilled and proud to announce that Len's sister, our own Scarlet Lady, the lovely Christina Harrison, will be this week's designated testa. So you know her, you love her. Please welcome Chrissy. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me. I am, first of all, I've never heard you say Schmerz Day. So you know how on um, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me when mm-hmm. you can have, if you if you answer all the questions correctly, you can have somebody's voice on your voicemail. Yeah, I think I want you saying Schmerz Day. Um, oh. I don't know what I have to do to win it, but I think that's what I want. That said, though, I just feel like we should do that theater soap opera thing. That on today's show, the role of Lentesta will be played by Christina Harrison. But. You have to say it that way, though. And I don't mind. You know, mm. I've had a Hester Prynne moment or two mm. in mm. my past. It was it was many years ago when I used to sleep more mm-hmm. before my daughter. So I'm okay being the Scarlet Lady. But yes, Len is on the boat. By all accounts, he was fully intoxicated. Like, <laughs> 15 minutes. He's with Hannah, his daughter, Hannah. I was, I started getting text messages at the beginning of the evening and they made less and less sense. Mm -hmm. And by the time they left port, it's just better if we don't talk about it. Now I have to say you are facing a fairly large challenge on today's show. You've, you've got to figure out a way to interrupt yourself. (laughs) And we have a a listener, LB Wicket, uh, who actually posted this over in the comments at iTunes. Uh, He did this back on September 21st of this year. He said, dear Len, for the love of Oprah, (laughs) please allow your invited guests to answer questions themselves. Each time you ask Christina Harrison a question, you answered more than she did. You, you spoke over her almost every time. And then he he recreated several moments in the show. Like, so Len says, Christina, you ordered the, the prefix meal as well, right? And you start to say, well, I did not. I had and Len continue. Jim, let me just say, she had two sweet crepes. And then Len goes on to mansplain for Christina what she ordered. And LB Wicket, who, by the way, I should mention here, describes himself, uh, herself, uh, as a devoted listener fan person. Person, who, by the way, also thinks that crepes are awesome. So she acknowledges it, that Len's excited on the show, and, and that's cool. But then goes on to take your, your brother to task for dominating that particular conversation. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't entirely think that's fair. I mean, I think it kind of ignores the brother-sister dynamic. I mean, when it, it comes to the, the Hill House, uh, there were seven of us, six now. We, we lost my dad yeah. like last December. And talking over one another, well, that was and still is the Hill's main mode of communication. I don't know about the Testa household, but but in the Hill household, decibels translated directly to happiness. Was that the case at Casa Testa or... Well, I will say he does interrupt every thought I have, but he is also the best of men. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I mean, I'm younger than him by many, many years. Mm -hmm. So he's the older brother. So he's, you know, he's the smartest person I've ever known. Mm -hmm. He uh, reminds me of that. So (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. I get my way. It's fine. If he interrupts me, I still get to do whatever I want. No, this is always fun. And I'm very grateful that you have me on anytime. No, 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 no. You have started coming on the show on a fairly regular basis. And again, I enjoy the fact that in a lot of ways, you're getting more fan mail than Len and I are at this point. <laughs> well, to, wait, to, and know. I know we're going to talk about Star Wars. Can, can we talk about the troll mail at some point? Because it has done my heart good. I, I guess it's not a frog at Rise of the Resistance. I still don't know what it is. I'm not going to watch the movie. I'm not going to run it. 
But I have been getting responses on Twitter because mm-hmm. I said frog gentlemen of these very fancy frogs. Mm-hmm. And I have printed out each one and put one in my journal because I don't know how long that'll last, but it's hilarious. I want to say he is a mon calamari. No, don't ruin it. I'm sorry. I'm it. sorry. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. Aaron, Leave edit the that mystery. out. Leave okay. The mystery. It's a frog. Okay. It's a frog. Frog guy. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of family gatherings, you have been back to the Magic Kingdom a number of times since Walt Disney World yeah. 50th anniversary has officially gotten underway on October 1st. And observing firsthand how things are being handled nowadays at the kingdom. And you've been getting a lot of inquiries on Instagram about a resort guest early entry. Is that right? Yeah, it's really different now. So just before they instituted the early entry again or or brought it back or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, they started changing rope drop. So after um, we came back from COVID, Mm -hmm. they would let everybody in about an hour early and then slowly they worked that back. And now the way that it is, is um, let's just say you get in the park opens at nine Mm -hmm. resort guests can tap in. You use your, your magic band. At whatever time mm-hmm. the park opens, okay. you know, you get in 30 minutes early. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the guests who are not resort guests are going to be in the hub area, um, especially close to the castles. Super good idea right now because of the show. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to want to go to the right. There aren't a lot of signs that there's been a lot of confusion, a lot of questions. There aren't a lot of signs down Main Street mm-hmm. until you get around the plaza. And then when you get at the plaza, it's all towards the right. It's all towards Tomorrowland. So you'll tap in right there before that popcorn um, cart on the right near Tomorrowland. But it's hard to see if you get there like a couple minutes too late. There's people and they just have the little lollipop signs. Mm -hmm. So you really need to know what you're doing. You need to stay to the right. And you tap in straight for Seven Dwarves Mine Train would be Mm -hmm. my go. And then at five minutes till, there's a little stage show, Mickey and Minnie in their new outfits, some music, Mm -hmm. an announcement, a little bit of daytime pyro, and then they release the herds. Okay. And uh, is it just Mickey and Minnie or do they have any of the... the, I believe it's Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Daisy, Mm -hmm. but I could be, uh, I could be missing a friend in there, but yes. And this is supposed to placate the crowd that can't make the early break. For it's the really December. sweet. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. I get that. Okay. Well, now at the other end of the day, I mean, again, we were talking about our rope drop and our wonderful opening of the park stage show. Other end of the day, we have another event that's sort of centered around Cinderella Castle, and that's the Magic Kingdom 50th anniversary dessert party, a.k.a. Disney Enchanted Seats and Treats. That's really the name? Um, it is. Wow. Okay. I went to the website, pulled the actual physical description. It says, join us in Tomorrowland Terrace, where you'll discover a host of 50th anniversary themed desserts prepared by our pastry chef, including chocolate strips, strawberries, butterscotch pudding, and a variety of cheeses. Drink selections will also be available, including an assortment of beer and wine for guests 21 and over. We also have price points here. Adults, which in Disney's terms are ages 10 and up, and that's $114 a person. And children can join the seats and treats. Children are in ages three through nine for $69 a person. So you have experienced seats and treats, right? Yeah, uh, Len and I went on Sunday. To say that there's a variety of cheeses, I feel like is a stretch. Mm-hmm. Pun intended. Um, I think there were two cheeses. Oh. Don't go for the cheese. Don't okay. don't right. go for it's not what you were going for. Mm-hmm. So there's a pre-party, there's the seats and treats, which is the fancy schmancy one. Mm-hmm. The pre-one is prior to, mm-hmm. and you are standing for enchantment. The one that we went to is the seats and treats. So you're in a seat for the actual show, and then there is a post. But we haven't done that one. So the one that we went to, it officially reads that you would check in at eight o'clock. Now, Len and I perpetually early, mm-hmm. we were walking by about, and this is in Tomorrowland Terrace. Um, so we were walking by about 7.15, 7.20, and we saw people start to line up. So, of course, you see a line, you have to get in line, you don't know what it's for. Mm-hmm. And they were letting us in early. 
Um, and I did confirm today that the six thirty, which is the pre-show, you need to you can start checking in and and drinking and eating, whatever at six o'clock. So it looks like they're doing about thirty minutes early. The bar was set up. It was a pretty good selection. Um, not a huge drinker, but it was a pretty decent selection. And then they had um, lots of non-alcoholic stuff, tons of sweets. The thing that really impressed me, though. Mm-hmm is that there were um, some folks on either side of us that had, oh, and every seat was good. Every seat was great. Um, okay. As far as being on the terrace, mm-hmm. Len made a couple points about the audio, getting a lot of feedback, which is true. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of an obstructed view. But one interesting point was there were some folks on either side that had issues with somebody had a nut allergy and then there was a gluten uh, issue and they do have the chefs come out. They speak Mm. with you. Mm. They're obviously, you know, better than anyone trained Mm. and prepared Mm. to meet these challenges. It's not a big deal. Um, Mm. You paid $114. The guests seemed perfectly happy with what they brought out. They made adjustments, you know, based on their dietary needs and everybody went on with their night. So we've had a ton of questions about that. Like, will they cater to your dietary restrictions? And they most certainly will. And don't seem flustered by it. Okay. I I do note a capital N, capital O, no cheeseburger spring rolls. So this this, this was a... (laughs) A sore point between you and Len? That was an issue. That was an issue. Yeah. And then that was a big question. Their only savory items are some crackers. And Mm -hmm. I want to say they're Ritz. I'll send you the pictures. I feel like they're Ritz. Mm -hmm. And then some cheese cubes that you get in a cheese tray at the grocery. Don't eat the cheese. Don't waste your time. Okay. Okay. Not worth it. But that's the only savory. Mm -hmm. But there is alcohol, which, you know. Yeah. Especially after a long day at the kingdom. Yeah, in mean, a seat. In a seat. Mm-hmm. So, like Len said, it's um, you know, if you are hearty and hale and mm-hmm. you are happy to stand up and jostle, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of people, which I am not, I'm too old and tired for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like bringing my mother, she is almost 80, bringing my daughter, she is eight. I would mm-hmm. never, I would definitely just pop okay. for the 114 and have them sit down okay no that really makes sense i mean people I, I, reserved you don't have to get in line and fight for a table oh. they will walk you to your table interesting okay. so it's not like the starbucks cup there'll be no fisticuffs what i think of visiting central florida is oh i can't sit to wait to sit down and have a, a nice bowl of butterscotch pudding and i just sort of like i i <laughs> Maybe, you know, maybe a little menu, menu change. But on the other hand, again, for, for no. those that, you know, no, you, we really like the butterscotch pudding? What? I, I didn't. No. Oh. It was. <laughs> okay. That was not the highlight of my night. All right. <laughs> Campaign well, and strawberries. That was, that was. There we thing. go. All right. Now I have to go back and try the butterscotch. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Okay. Wait for a cooler evening. I, I, I think that'll be December. Okay. Now, for those of you who aren't necessarily as excited about spending $114 a person, so you, again, you can eat butterscotch pudding in high humidity, you did point out that there are lots of other 50th anniversary related activities and collectibles that won't necessarily put that big a dent in your wallet. And I, I guess let's start with the the new press penny machines that are that they've distributed with the new molds around property, right? They're glorious. I sent you a few. Okay. Um, so that you could see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't just have the pennies. They have the, um, they look like gold dollars, the silver, you know, the bigger ones. I think mm-hmm. they're, are they $5 a piece? You know, they give you a discount when you buy all five, whatever it is. They're beautiful. And it's, they, you know, they have the little press penny books, but if you, if you get too many of them, yeah, you're going to spend the same amount as you would on a, lo- a lounge fly. But it's really fun to go to the different machines and see, oh, here's Mickey. And um, But they they have started replacing them. I haven't found a machine that hasn't had at least one. They're not all 50 branded, mm-hmm. but I haven't found a machine that hasn't had. That's an awesome and expensive thing. The other thing is the popcorn buckets. And it's always dangerous on the very first day of something like this in an anniversary event to look at the line, for example, you know, no. all the people yeah. in line to get the, that 
50th anniversary popcorn bucket. And it's like, that's not going to be that way even tomorrow. No. Um, but to see the, the images of the poor cast members who can't break down the boxes fast <sighs> enough. Um, well, the best part, Jim, was like, I'm aging. I'm showing my age, but... <laughs> And, and it's not picking on anybody. It just, it tickled me at the end of the day to see mm -hmm. the people walking around at the end of the day, looking like, you know, Mr. T, but like with popcorn buckets, like mm -hmm. I got my pink one, I got my gold <laughs> one, I got my blue one. It was like Michael Phelps, maybe that's better way to say but it was popcorn buckets. And I'm thinking like, how do you go to the bathroom? How are you riding rides? Like, <laughs> And it wasn't just one or two people. It was a lot of people, but they're coming back. It's fine. It's all here for 18 months. Yeah, I okay. know. Okay. Don't know, need to just fight over the Starbucks cup. <laughs> I forget who I was reading online who was making the joke that they, they were hoping that Disney would start a service that you could buy a popcorn bucket and then they would deliver it directly to your her parents' garage where it was going to be stored anyway. So <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> What are the popcorn, the, the anniversary souvenir popcorn buckets going for these days? Oh, gosh, 20 something. Really? 20, okay. I want to say I, I did not wait in that line. Okay. I clocked one of the lines at an hour and 20 minutes. You know, mm. you pick a person, then you start your timer. Hour and 20. And I, I had too many um, super gross and super awesome food things to get. Yes, well, oh. we'll get to those in a, in a bit. Yeah, yeah. But okay, now on, on the other hand, there are the the almost freebies. On like, for example, you mentioned the scavenger hunts at the resort. Who, yeah. Who's doing that? Um, every single resort has one. They're really, really sweet. They're branded. They're on good paper, which mm -hmm. those of us of a certain age will remember the old maps on the mm -hmm. good thick. Wish I had saved more of those. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really good heavy cardstock. And it's all 50th uh, related. So you can just go to the front desk at any resort. You do not have to be a guest. I have mm -hmm. several of them and I've only stayed in one resort. There are a couple of versions and it'll be things like, you know, a little clue to take you to the, maybe the figment statue in Epcot. Mm -hmm. It's all related to the, the 50th stuff. So it is free um, and they'll give you multiple copies. It's lovely. Cool. And you, you also mentioned the maps, which all seem to be highlighting the beacons of magic. That, that's what they're referring to, the castle, the tree of life, the Epcot ball, and, and Tower of Terror, right? Or... You're right. Okay. Yeah, cool. I have them in front of me. I, I went and got copies today. Mm -hmm. Yes. They all have Walt Disney World 50 on them. You know, they're still the kind of cheap paper, but they're super beautiful. Very cool. And yeah. speaking of... Uh, stuff that's been changed out for the 50th. You also mentioned the the AP cards, right? Oh, they're glorious. Really? Yes. It's obviously free. Mm -hmm. You go to guest relations. Now, when I went, I couldn't do my daughter's mm -hmm. AP because she wasn't with me uh, because they said they were running out. And mm -hmm. of course, they will restock. But this was on the first. Mm -hmm. They only let me do one. But they're gorgeous. It just takes maybe two minutes it's no mm -hmm. big deal. There's there has been a line every single day I have been in the Magic Kingdom. Normally it's like one or two people. There has been a line at guest relations every day, people swapping out their APs, but it's yeah. so pretty. Why not? My friend Angela, who actually went to the kingdom on the first, talked about how in her case, I they she got in the door there uh, just around six and promptly marched over to city hall and they they changed out her pass right then and there oh, yeah. or she upgraded her one day ticket to uh, an annual and they did it right there and she you know yeah. very pleased but again that just a tip if you're looking to do this as, as christina just said there is a line later in the day but if you do it first thing yeah. you have it and you can move on with your day what's what's great about chrissy is again you are in the park all the time so you have this sort of info on a timely basis, which you then share with, with the folks for, for touring plans. And I do think of this as a sacrifice. The guys work this hard to make sure you're on top of things. And I, I want to talk about the sacrifice you and Len are going to make in five months. When many basketball fans will be knee-deep in March Madness, but you and Len are going to make the sacrifice. You're going to journey to a galaxy far, far away. So seriously, you are staying in Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser on its opening night? You guys actually got in? Okay. So look, mm -hmm. I I think he was sober. I, 
Okay. I don't, I wasn't with him. Mm-hmm. He called me and said, Hey, you and I are going to stay in this spaceship hotel. What's it called? Spaceship hotel. And I said, who, who, me, who? Yeah. I was like, okay, you are definitely joking. Cause this is the end of touring plans. Mm-hmm. As we know it, like there is zero chance that this is going to happen. Then this dude tells me, not only am I going to stay in the spaceship hotel, but I have to come up with a backstory for myself. Okay, I haven't finished the first movie yet. Then he says it has to make sense and fit into canon. So I said, I'm not, but I am going to ask someone else to volunteer to write my backstory. And then I will then reward them with a prize from the spaceship hotel. So if any of your listeners want to send you the backstory for me. <laughs> okay. I have to warn you. I, I know some Star Wars fans. So it goes mild deep. You, you, you might want to start this off by saying, let's limit the backstory to say five pages. Cause no. I, you know, I, you know no. what? what? I like, I was an English major. I love a, a long, I loved Beowulf. You know, if you can write it in Klingon, is it Klingon? I can read Old English. I don't know. Anyway, I I don't mind a long story, okay? I have no theater experience. Okay. Well, please send those phone books to Christina Harrison. You need to vet it. (sighs) You need to say that, that you need to vet it. Len needs to vet it. I would appreciate there will be extra points if the frog gentleman... somewhere into my backstory i feel like that's a bigger prize <laughs> all right if if i'm vetting it we we are you know folks again this has to be an extremely well written post-it note um you know you can use both sides i i, I you know <laughs> I, i'm sorry i i'm old i have a short attention span good he's a frog person lovely okay this is the backstory you know, so Okay. He's gotten an unpaid part-time job, Jim. (laughs) There we go. But I am very serious when I I say that I I genuinely believe that Chrissy works really hard for touring plans, makes sacrifices. In fact, I wanted to share the note that I sent to you, you know, just this past weekend. (laughs) Okay. So it's like this, it literally sends it to Chrissy. It's like, Chrissy, Jim here. Thanks to all the photos that have been placed on social media. I've been able to keep tabs on a lot of the special for the 50th anniversary food that's been introduced out there. And geez, are you actually going to be okay eating, sampling a lot of this stuff? I mean, from what you do for touring plans, you previously work hard at the, get, making your way through all the new items introduced each year at Food and Wine, Flower and Garden, Holiday Around the World and Festival of the Arts. But a lot of this 50th anniversary stuff, because the test kitchen seems to have really leaned into this iridescent color pattern mm-hmm. palette. I just, it looks unhealthy. It looks unnatural. And it just, I'm genuinely worried for this woman. I mean, some of this stuff looks like, like it will give you diabetes just from being in the same room, let alone yeah. eating it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess you and Len had gone to Steakhouse 71, and yeah. he had deliberately bought you the iridescent sipabration. Do you want to talk about it? was a bath bomb. It was a bath bomb. And I appreciate your concern because honestly, I mean, Len talked about eating Casey's at 6 45 in the morning. He did. He did. Nobody made him eat the whole thing, Jim. Mm-hmm. Okay. I said, take a bite. Mm-hmm. Take a bite. I didn't make him completely devour a pound of fries and hot dog at seven in the morning, mm-hmm. contrary to what the man says. But yeah, there's glitter on everything. There's glitter on the churros. There's glitter in the berry drink. There's mm-hmm. so yeah, I was genuinely curious, like what amount is at what point am I when <laughs> when well, do I start? I have seen the visual of the the iridescent though. It's like literally they have like a Mickey head, don't they? Yeah. And you you drop it into the beverage and then you you <laughs> literally have to stir it to mix up the glitter. And it's just yeah. sort of like, wow, I, I'm intentionally poisoning myself. Woo-hoo! By the way, I want to share a, a quick story because you were mentioning, again, that Len doesn't have to eat everything to check food at the park. In fact, there were these great stories about Walt Disney when he used to check food at the park. I mean, he'd drive down on a Friday night. He'd be there Saturday, Sunday. And what he'd do is he'd get in line with the guests and he'd go to, you know, a place and order a burger, a fries and a Coke. Mm 
Hmm. And what he'd do is he'd, he'd take like two or three fries, bite into them, and okay, they're warm, they're salty, and he'd then throw the fries away. He'd do the same thing, take a bite out of the burger. Is it still warm? Is the bread fresh? Cool. That goes into the trash. Take a sip of the soda. Okay, it's bubbly, not flat. There's ice in it. And he'd just move on. He would just, you know, it wasn't a question. You know, Walt wasn't eating, every, you know, everything from every restaurant in the parks. It was just sort of sampling. So, so no, you're right. It, Len needs to understand that, especially... <laughs> Out ahead of going to like Boma, you know, because you could die. Now, now, speaking of which, you had mentioned that there's a number of things for the 50th anniversary that you, you did like. Like, for example, they're actually serving meals again at Tortuga Tavern. They are. Now, it's not on mobile order. So mm-hmm. a lot of people skip it because, mm-hmm. you know, now you're you're trained to go into MDE and what do I want to eat? And you go on mobile order. They mm-hmm. still don't have mobile order, but they do have two lovely dishes at Tortuga Tavern that are part of the 50th. I don't, what I don't understand is how they, uh, you're going to know this uh, obviously better than anyone, but how did they decide like the 1971 meal just because it was served at 1971 or like the stuff that's Walt's favorite. Was it really Walt's favorite? That's one of those things where it's like, I have to sometimes call shenanigans because it's like, Yes, Walt liked chili. In fact, that there are these stories, you know, to the effect when he would go over to the UK when they were making things like uh, Treasure Island or Rob Roy or that sort of thing. And and it was one of these things where the, the people at Disney were always embarrassed because you know, Walt would get to his hotel room and unpack cans of chili that he brought over from the States. Like, you know, it's like, oh, oh come on, Walt, we're in another country. I you know, like that. You know. So yeah, there there are things like that. Though the folks at Disney Publishing were kind enough to send the 50th anniversary cookbook that Pam Brandon put together. And Pam being the pro that she is, it's again, they're all legitimate recipes. And more to the point, Pam also wraps stories around them. So, you know, it's that rare cookbook that's actually a good read. But again, the problem is that, I mean, it's sort of like uh, here at the house, we have Nancy's mom's copy of the Better Home and Gardens cookbook from like 45, 50. And when you look at those recipes where you start with an entire stick of butter, then pour in you know, an entire thing of cream and then clutch your chest and fall to the kitchen floor because you're having a heart attack from eating all this stuff that clogs your arteries. So that's Kind of the other thing with the doing the food from the 1970s, where it's like uh, I didn't see one dish that was aspic. I well, saw nothing ways with aspic, ways with ham. Because I too collect cookbooks. I have several of Pam Brandon. She's a goddess. Mm-hmm. I have made several of her recipes, but I have mm-hmm. my mom's stuff from the 40s too, and it's all like add the aspic, throw in. Oh, that's, that's I. I will have to get you a copy then. I I found at a bookstore, a cookbook for Grossinger's, the resort up in the Catskill. And each of the the, the recipes, again, will kill you, but you're like, oh, I have to make this. And then I have to go basically jog to Cleveland because it's the only way to work off this food. But we've talked highly about the Tortuga Tavern. Let's talk about the Mr. Toad Dome Cake that's being offered at Friar Nook. Well, I was with Bethany Vinton, who Mm -hmm. is wonderful she has a really great instagram and she's down a lot she lives in portland and we are very symbiotic in our views on Mm -hmm. pretty much everything Mm -hmm. especially food okay so we um we're eating off of trash cans all day because you heard the stories it's fine i'm not above it it um and we got the mr toad's dome cake Mm -hmm. now the burger at Friar's Nook was a brat burger and it's the best burger in the Magic Kingdom. It's the only one that's not dry. I will fight for that. Fight okay. to the death. It's the only good burger. Okay. Inside the park that isn't a sit down. Okay. But the Mr. Toad's cake, <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm eating the burger. And then the video you're talking about now that uh-huh. like three and a half million people have seen. Mm-hmm. Bethany is trying the peanut butter uh, dome cake and then I start to try it. And then that's me that you hear screaming. Is it neat? Because I, it tasted like spam mixed with tuna mixed with peanut butter. Like it is foul. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh no. (laughs) 
no, 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 no. Yeah. So that was a pretty, most reactions, you know, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't love that. Or it's okay. George Carlin used to do this amazing piece of material about you reach into the fridge and you pull out a plate that has an item of food on it that has been in there so long, it's hard to identify what it originally was. So you smell it and it has no smell. You know, and so you, you look at it, could be meat, could be cake. It's meat cake. And it's like, and I you know, the, the fact that you actually found meat cake and that, that somewhere George Carlin, wherever he ended up, is smiling. But it does look weirdly gelatinous. I mean, I love the image of, of Toad Absolutely. on it. Absolutely. Um, but I just would not want to eat that. So well, to- no, I feel like you have to try it now. Uh, mm. here, I feel like I have to buy you one and I have to get your reaction. Mm. You're part I'm, of it now. I'm one of those people who believes that peanut butter belongs on a sandwich. But- yeah, it's special. It's uh, it, It's fun. Well, there are some good things though, like uh, uh, the pyramid in Mexico, mm-hmm. and um, the Fiesta pyramid in Mexico. It's like thirty four dollars. Mm-hmm. It serves half of Mexico. I mean, it's enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's stunning. I'll have to send you a picture. It was on our Instagram as well. So there are some really great things. The Mister Toad Dome Cake, big old miss. Well, you know, but again, that's but, but, the, but at the same time, you gotta love. The fact that, you know, what fascinates me is, you know, you know that, you know, at the the Walt Disney World Test Kitchen, there were at least 100, possibly more than it's like, you know, know, just, you know, we we, we don't need the the hoofs foot jelly. I, you know, again, (laughs) that's lovely idea. And yes, I see it ties in with the horses that come down Main Street, but we don't need this. All right. You know, just just, we're taking that off of the. It made it through. the little it's the little coin that sucked everybody in it's so cute it'll be fine somebody will eat it it's okay well that's that's it but i would imagine if what you're saying is true that the the dumpster you you were using as a table it will soon be full of uh, dome cake which but again people would enjoy that lovely coin so anyway that this makes me think back to when the the magic kingdom actually had a mr toad's wild ride and by the way, when we get back, Chris and I will be talking about the early, early days of Walt Disney World before this resort was even open to the public. And we'll talk about how sometimes the stories that get shared about this place are just too good to be true. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's a Bruce Willis, James Garner movie from the 80s called Sunset. Have you ever seen this? Is that the one Len asked me about that it had something to do with Star Wars? <laughs> Honestly, no, I think he did. I'll send you the text. Okay. No, all right. I don't think I- Okay. No, I, I, you know, that this is about a far earlier time in Hollywood. In fact, what's weird about this film is it's actually supposedly based in fact. It, it talks about the time when legendary lawman Wyatt Earp of, of shootout at the OK Corral fame. Um, he was in Tombstone, right? That Wyatt. There Earp we was... go. That's okay, it exactly. I'm with you now. I'm with you. Okay. Well, the thing is, he lived long enough that he actually, in the 1920s, journeyed to Hollywood and actually befriended a bunch of big screen stars of that age. People like Tom Mix, who who was a huge cowboy hero in the films back in that day. This is a Blake Edwards movie, and it was released to theaters back in April of 1988. And it ends with this title card, which I love. And it says, and that's the way it really happened, give or take a lie or two. 
Um, That's got to be your new sign off on the show. I, I have to admit, I enjoy That's that. That's it. I but I, I bring this up because, face it, Disney's in the middle of promoting the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Vacation Kingdom. And over the nearly 40 years now, I, I've had the privilege of, of you know, sitting down with a, a bunch of the men and women who actually worked directly with Walt, who had a front seat as Walt Disney World rose up out of the swamps of Central Florida. And sometimes they would share stories about what it was actually like to work on Project Sunshine, which, believe it or not, that was one of the early code names for this thing. And one of the, the gentlemen who was particularly nice to me was, was Disney legend John Hinch. And he told me about his very first trip to the Walt Disney World worksite. So the way John tells this story, it's October of 67. And about this time, all that the on-site construction teams have done is they've used earth movers to clear the 100-acre parcel where the Magic Kingdom is eventually going to be built. So that morning, uh, John talks about how he was helicoptered into the worksite, flew over this, this huge expanse of, of wetlands. And he shared the helicopter with, with Richard Irvine, who was the executive vice president and chief operating officer of WED at the time. John goes on to say, Richard was the only one of us who at that time had been to the field up until this point. And you have to remember that when Walt died in 66, Roy went into mourning. And Project Florida was basically placed on hold for six months because Walt's brother was trying to decide whether or not we're actually going to go forward with construction. But Roy comes out of his funk it's, uh, and gives the go-ahead in June of 67. And then Richard has them clear, again, that 100-acre site where the Magic Kingdom would be built. And it, it takes a couple of months to do this because they, they got to cut down all the trees and then haul them away. And meanwhile, John's back in Glendale with, with Herbie Ryman and Mark Davis. And they're working on the design of the park, deciding what attractions go where. So again, fall of 67, out in California, uh, John gets a call from Dick Irvine who says, you need to get down to Florida ASAP, uh, that there's a problem at the work site that I need you to see. So John gets on a plane from LAX. There are no direct flights to Orlando at that time. He eventually arrives at the jet port at McCoy. That, that's actually what they called the civilian side of McCoy Air Force Base. It was the Orlando jet port at McCoy. Very next day, Richard and John helicopter out to the Magic Kingdom worksite. Uh, Tree-free, 100-acre clearing. It smells terrible, by the way. I mean, I, I, you live in, in Florida. Does. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know that smell. So picture yeah. the Florida smell, only you've ripped the trees up. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So they get out of the helicopter and Richard reached behind the seat and pulls out a shovel. And, you know, at this point he leads John over to this giant yellow X that the construction crew has marked out on the ground with pieces of plastic. And X marks the spot where Cinderella Castle is eventually going to be built. Okay. okay. So Dick points to the ground by the X and says, dig. And so John humors him. He gets, takes out like the shovel. Job. Sounds like Len and me. Okay, so. <laughs> well, I, I would be a little concerned if Len took me out into the woods and said, dig. You know, it's like, it's like okay, I've seen too many episodes of The Sopranos. I know how this ends. Anyway, so uh, John digs a hole, maybe two feet deep. And what with all the trees that have been cleared away, it, it's the soil's loose. It's easy to shovel. It only takes them a minute or so. And so Dick then walks him around the work site. And it's like, okay, so over here is we're going to put the Rivers of America. And this is where we're going to put the Jungle Cruise. And, uh, but as they're walking, Dick keeps looking at his watch. And after about a half hour, it's like, okay, we got to go back. Come on. And so they walk back over to the giant yellow X. And Dick gestures to the hole that, that John had just dug 30 minutes earlier, which is now full of water. With a gator. <laughs> That would have been a nice add, add on to the story, but no, just plant of water. And, but you have to understand that it, as John explained to me, when they were originally designing the magic kingdom of Walt Disney world, they just thought it was Disneyland revisited, you know, that they were just going to pull out the trees, just like they did with the orange orange groves and the walnut trees in Anaheim. And then little side prep. And you'd be able to build the theme park right on top of that bare soil. We know the water table in Central Florida is high, and, and they knew it back then, too. That's why they had uh, General Joe Potter come out as early as the summer of 66, and he built all these miles of miles and miles of drainage canals. And, you know, so it's like, okay, we're mitigating the water table problem. What really freaked John out was this was also after the construction team had thrown down 
several thousand tons of dry fill on the site. They'd raised up the height of the, the Magic Kingdom construction site by a few inches and leveled the place out, filled in all the ruts where the root balls and that sort of thing had, had come out. And so it's level. But the water table is so much higher than they thought it would be. And so John at this point is like, geez, we got to go back to California and totally rethink how we're going to build the Magic Kingdom. Because building this place flat on the ground at like Disneyland just isn't an option anymore. And I shared an image with you earlier tonight because I, I, I wanted you to be able to verify that this thing actually exists. That, that There's an early, early plan of Walt Disney World, one prior to 1967, that doesn't feature Seven Seas Lagoon. To hear John tell the story, that's largely because they had to haul all of that dirt out. They dredged it out of Seven Seas Lagoon. And that's, and again, they created a 220-acre lake. But that was all done to get the additional soil they needed to raise up the, the Magic Kingdom. So it, it wouldn't sink into the ground. So you got that image, right? Yeah, but it still floods. I mean, did you see the summer? Yes, those images of Tomorrowland, the summer, where it was like, you know, people were wading through like eight to 10 inches of water. In that's not weird. I mean, that's like pretty common during our rainy season that you'll have ankle deep. It's mm-hmm. not that deep but like it's not even a thing it doesn't even occur to me to take pictures because we just flood <laughs> and then you know see this is the thing that just doesn't make sense to me that they hear john talk that when they were building phase one of, of walt disney world you know the first thing they did is they they had to create the kingdom like a, a two-story house they created this 80 acre support structure which was then had a mile's worth of tunnel going through it. Uh, you know, in, in Florida, when you pour concrete, you have to wait for it to cure, which evidently took weeks in the Florida humidity. But that was all, you know, before they could get serious about the Magic Kingdom. And, and John had actually been in 54. He had gone with Walt out to the site of the construction of Disneyland. And he, John was t- telling me about how angry Walt would get when he would be out there in, you know, November, December of 1954. And it's like they had already spent $5 million on the construction of Disneyland. And you couldn't see a thing because General Joe Potter, the gentleman who uh, was building the lay, oh, excuse me, Admiral Joe Fowler, my mistake, who was building the park for Walt was like, Walt, these aren't sets for a movie you know buildings need concrete foundations bathrooms need pipes that lead to to water we're building something that's not just going to be here for five or six weeks you know while you produce a movie this is we're building something that needs to last and so that's john went on to say you know that he said i know that walt would have been furious and with us in 1969 where we had already spent $100 million on the construction of, of the Magic Kingdom, and all we had to show for it was the hole where Seven Seas Lagoon was going to go and the hole where the basement that supported the Magic Kingdom was going to go. That's construction in Florida, though. I mean, we uh, had our just our tiny little patio, mm-hmm. 10 by 20, 20 mm-hmm. and it had to sit and settle for yep. weeks. And then mm-hmm. they had to come out and look at the cracks and... I mean, that's central Florida. Uh, what I what I have a question about, though, Jim, mm. is yep. all of this. Okay, first of all, would you have gotten on a helicopter in 1967 and have flown over gator-infested <laughs> swamp? First, that's the first thing. Like The fact that any of this happened legitimately mm. because somebody had to get on that aircraft mm. and fly over gators. I mean, that alone is magic. You're not wrong. and uh, But you also have to remember that in a weird sort of way, because uh, I think about it, Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, they had had to do the same thing. They had had to build this place where, you know, we sent men into space. We sent, you know, they were, we were trying to get men on the moon. And same thing. You had to take these wetlands of Florida and turn them into something. So when uh, John talked about this, they, they literally would go to NASA. And, you know, especially after what happened about the, the water table, what did you guys do? Because you had to build, like, for example, the vehicle assembly building, which was, you know, at one point, the largest indoor structure on the planet, because you know that's where the Saturn Vs to go to the moon were, were assembled. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like they needed to be support the weight of that. And there were lessons that, that Disney then carried out to the worksite in Central Florida. And now, speaking of which, though, and, and the weight of concrete and that sort of thing, I, I'm, I'm holding this up because we're, uh, Christy and I are Zooming. So I want to show that this document actually exists. This is a copy of the Cruise Nest, which is the newsletter that the people who work in transportation, specifically the boats at Walt Disney World, used to communicate with one another. So this is these are the folks who run the ferry boats back and forth from the TTC over to the, the kingdom. Likewise, the folks who, who work all the boats that go from the Grand Flow, the Contemporary, the, the Poly Wilderness Lodge, and Fort Wilderness Campground, let alone the, you know, the folks who, who work the boats that go back and forth from the shopping village to outfits like Port Orleans or that sort of thing. And I bring up this issue because they have the cover story on their March 1996 issue is the Walt Disney Water Bridge, uh, which is that bridge, you know, that, you know, that when you're going to the contemporary and you drive under that thing that the boats go over. Okay, this talks about how that was built, this article. And the work on the Walt Disney Water Bridge begins in May, uh, on May 30th, 1967. It's done by the Hubbard's Construction Company and Allen Contracting. Earth and muck are removal, first step of the excavation of the underpass. Then six deep wells are sunk in order to dry the area so that the concrete forms for the underpass slab can be set. That's the part that the cars drive on. This slab is three feet thick and basically floats on top of the aquifer. The joints in the slab were poured with expansive concrete, which then made them watertight. The walls were constructed. Uh, then a waterproof membrane was placed in the outside. On the inside, an extensive drainage system exists to hold the groundwater elevation at approximately 10 feet below Seven Seas Lagoon, and Bay Lake water levels. And the roof, now that's, in this case, that's the slab that's holding the water up as you drive under the underpass. That concrete is two feet thick and provides uh, the folks who work in transportation uh, who are driving the boats over this thing with a waterway that is 80 feet wide and 12 feet deep. Wait a minute. It's only two feet thick and I drive under this thing once a week? There we go. Like I said, she makes sacrifices, folks. All right. You know that now we've stressed her out. I got to find a back way because I'm not comfortable with this. Okay. But but here's here's my problem with this story. If this thing in the cruise nest is true, Mm -hmm. work on the Walt Disney Water Bridge begins in May of 1967. Whereas John Hench's story has them only discovering the exceedingly high water table at the Magic Kingdom worksite in the fall of that same year. And that's when the decision was made to dig Seven Seas Lagoon and use all that extra soil to support the 80-acre concrete basement and and it leads to the creation of the Utilidors. So which story is right? And I sent you that piece of art because... That confirms that at least at one point in the history of the development of Walt Disney World, there was a version of the plan that did not have a Seven Seas Lagoon. Uh, There was only one big lake. And in fact, what's fascinating for me about the big lake is what? To the north, they show a South Seas-themed resort. And then to the south, there's a a Cape Cod-themed resort. But have you ever run into this where you get a story from two very reliable sources that don't line up? Every day from Captain <laughs> Very true. Yep, absolutely. Without uh, I see it all the time. This what? is way more interesting, though, because now I'm nervous to drive under the two feet. <laughs> Maybe it's two feet. We don't know. Well, I'm hoping the cruise nest people got it right. But. This was something kind of peculiar dealing with the older Imagineers. A lot of the stories they were sharing with me are stories that they had honed over the years with all sorts of retelling. And you you know how it is sometimes where you tell a story a bunch of times and you kind of improve it along the way. So I don't do that. Oh, well, neither do I. But I, you know, just, but that's the thing. I just, I look at this and go, 
it's one of these things where we have this information about the mini construction of the underpass, the, 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 the bridge between the two lakes in May of 67, but we also have this map that shows that there was a time when there was no seven seas. So you're missing the most important part, Jim. You know <laughs> everything and you know everyone. There is literally not a human on earth alive that knows more Disney lore. I feel like you're missing the whole gator story. <laughs> I think you could write an entire oh. book. Well, just, just about the, the about the gator stuff. Yeah. I think half of my job is again, you can't assume that you know all of the stories. In fact, just this week, for example, Don Knotts's daughter, uh Karen Knotts, uh has written a bio of her uh, dad called Tied Up in Knots. And she tells this great story about her dad going to work for Disney. And in fact, I I think it's Tim Conway that that used to do this joke, you know, to the effect of, oh, welcome to Disney. Uh, You're making a movie for Christmas. Okay, here's your animal. You know, and it's just like, you know, whether they issued you a chimp or a tiger or a mule. And, you know, that, that, you know, that was your co-star for the next movie. But yeah, you, you can't always assume that the info you have not that it's not correct, but it just sort of, there's always another story. There's always, in fact, I, I, it's been so many times, for example, when I would sit down with an Imagineer and they would tell me a story about, you know, a meeting they'd been in with Mark Davis. And it's like, I had heard about this meeting from Mark Davis. And it's like, these two stories don't jive, but they were, these guys were still in the room at the same time. And just sometimes you hear different things, you know, or, you know, that, that, or you're not paying attention during that part of the meeting and you only pay attention to the part that impacts your stuff. So, well, anyway, I, as they say at the end of, of Blake Edwards, you know, sunset, you know, that's the way it really was, folks, give or take a lie or two. That is going to do it for the Disney Ditch. Uh, as Len says at this moment in the show, please head over to DisneyDishBandCamp.com where you're going to find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including History of Disney's Flying Saucers, which reminds me, I really have to go record part two of that story. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who, by the way, is feeling a bit under the weather lately, which is why he's sticking close to home right now. Um, So please send some kind thoughts Aaron's way. And special thanks to Christina Harrison from from Turing Plants, who, who, let's be honest here, folks, did an excellent job of standing in for her brother, Len. And as far as I'm concerned, Chrissy, you can be our designated testa anytime. Um, You know, in fact, we don't even have to tell Len when we're recording going forward. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on. on My pleasure. Um, We have to make sure that the next time we sing along, that you're there because I, I recorded Len, but it just doesn't do it justice. I need you to hear him singing. <laughs> um, not okay. Not blood on the saddle. That's fine. But the Teddy Barra, you know, oh. that's the best one. Cause he, he got a little high. I got him the little pitch pipe. We're going to practice for when you're here and we'll have to go together. Okay. It's a date. It's a day. Yep. Okay. Little treats and we'll go sing. Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. Glad to, to, to thank you for coming on. So, and, and again, here's, here's hoping that, that Len enjoys his time on the Scarlet Lady. And uh, that's going to do it for now, folks. Thank you for listening. And Len and I will be back with a new Disney dish this time next week.